all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know you don't mom alone. That's particularly important in this conversation, episode 277, with my friend, Brittany Turner. However, I think in the church, we can become so overly cautious of what we say that we just turn to the other end of the spectrum of bottling everything up. And so I always say I had like a thousand Coke bottles on a table and I was trying to carefully keep all of the bottles filled with all the junk without knocking the table over. And somebody slammed into the table and they all fell. And so I spent therapy deciding not to pick them all back up and reset them, but instead to clean the table. And I think that's where Christian counselor really helped because they were there to help remind me of the truths of God's word. Brittany is a new friend to me. I met her last fall at the Sister Circle Retreat. And then we've hung out again and had coffee and I held her newest little baby girl. She has three young girls. Her husband is a worship leader. And today she is vulnerably sharing her story of walking through postpartum depression. She is a wealth of wisdom. She has studied God's word. She can teach but she also is letting you know you're not alone, but not leaving you there. She's going to help you get unstuck. She's going to share what promoted her healing process. And honestly, if you've never dealt with postpartum depression, I would love for you still to listen because I think it will give you insight on how to be a better friend to the moms around you and how to be that community that she needs. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Brittany. Welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled. It's just, it's really easier for me when I have met the guests in person. Yeah. And I just, I, I adore you. I know that there are thousands upon thousands of thousands of moms in the same place you are as far as the stage. Yeah. yeah. Young kids and, <laughs> you know. They are young. Yeah, and just what we're going to talk about today. So thank you for being willing and taking up my invitation. I'm so excited. You can't see me smiling, but my smile is like from ear to ear. Oh, you're so sweet. So well, we are gonna, we're going to get right into your story. So because uh, I, I know I get emails from moms about this. Talk to us about one of the harder things you've had to work through as a mom. So this this is like funny to me because I think I – probably in one of the few kids her whole life was like I want to be a mom I know like people up and think like I can't wait to get married and be a princess and all of those things I was not one yeah. of those girls was yeah. not me I, I did not like dream about my wedding or my husband I knew because I grew up in a Christian home that I needed a husband to be a mom but like I was the kid that didn't have imaginary friends I had imaginary children <laughs> like I had 18 of them and my mother would be so annoyed because she had to like open the door and let them all in um so when it came to to being a mom, I didn't exactly expect it to be as hard as it was. When we had my first daughter, um, my husband and I were just coming out of a really, really rough season, probably one of the roughest seasons we had had in our marriage. We had only been married for a couple of years, but we were coming out of like just a bunch of issues with just trying to understand ourselves as young adults. We had just gotten married, but we were also in ministry and it was just different being in the space that we were in, 
trying to figure all of that out. And so we went through a lot in the beginning stage of our marriage and then moved to Dallas and found out we were pregnant. And so it was exciting, but I was working and we were repairing our marriage. So it was like we were in this nice kind of sweet spot. Um, and that was great. You know, it was a great time. We got to know our first daughter. And then um, we had not planned on having our second when we did, but she kind of just was spontaneously given to us by the Lord. Um, and I say that and people, you know, people always say like, oh, we didn't expect like, but no, we really did not expect her. And she was such a blessing, but also such a miracle um, because she, with what surrounded her pregnancy, had a 0.15% chance of surviving. And so it was just, it was a really crazy beginning to my pregnancy with her. And then towards the end, I started having um, early labor and just being a teacher. It was a lot going on in her pregnancy. And so I found myself, I could almost feel it coming. I always tell my mom when I talk about this, looking back that I could feel it coming. I had struggled with um, depression and anxiety um, in high school and just like the whole idea of like that I didn't fit in, that there was something wrong with me. And I just, I had this overwhelming sense of dread because I want to say it was because I didn't really plan for her, but that wasn't it. It was really because I knew that I didn't feel like I was living up to my own expectation for myself with my first daughter and finding out that I was having a second daughter really brought to light a whole bunch of insecurity to me. Like I knew I didn't feel like I was being a good wife. We were still not really um, completely gelling. And so I, I just felt like I wasn't going to be a good mom to two people. Like, how was I supposed to take care of two people? How was I supposed to be there for my husband and a good mom at work? You know, I just, I couldn't do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it came time to give birth, um, she was born and the days surrounding her birth were fine. But when I got home, I was not okay. My husband's a musician, so he he works and he's often away from home on the weekends. And I remember that first weekend um, with our first daughter, he never left my side. But that first weekend he left, I knew that I wasn't okay. And it just, it didn't get better. It got worse. Um, I would put her down and it would just feel like I didn't know her at all. Like I, I was afraid to put her down because I felt like putting her down, I was feeling her. Like I remember nights where she would just cry and cry and cry and feel like I had no idea what was wrong with her. I couldn't figure it out. Like I would, I would feed her and it wasn't enough. And I just remember constantly feeling like I wasn't enough for her. I wasn't enough for my oldest daughter that I didn't have enough to be a good wife to my husband. Like they weren't eating. I wasn't sleeping. It just wasn't, I just was not in a good headspace. And basically postpartum came in and I knew it was there and I had no way. I felt like I couldn't get out of it. And so it got worse. It got worse before it got better. Um, My mom left, his mom left, and it was just us. And my husband kind of didn't know what to do. He he did the best he could. He took the babies. He fed. You know, he he isn't one of those guys. You know, you always hear these stories and you think like, where was the guy in this picture? But my husband wasn't one of those. Like, he was the guy who took half of a shift in the middle of the night. Like, or he would be the one that would get up with our oldest. He'd go to work, but then he'd come home and he'd play with them. You know, he'd give me he what I needed. He would cook. So he was hands on, but it was still like I was in this fog almost of sorts. And then I would get just angry. <laughs> like I would be mad. I was mad almost in a sense of God too, because I was like, why did you give me two girls? Like I was not a girl, the girl at all. And so my idea of being a woman and being feminine just did not line up with what I felt like. Even my first daughter 
was already beginning to show interest in. So I already felt like I was failing her because she's really close to her dad. And I just felt like, okay, I'm, I'm birthing humans. They won't even like me. And so it just, it got worse and worse. And kind of what came from that is just this feeling of failure in all the places that seem to matter most. And so as maternity leave began to end, I realized that I couldn't go back to work. Like I was not in a good space. I was tired, but I, I felt like I didn't know my baby. I felt like I was in a fog all the time. I was barely functioning. I can't remember eating. I couldn't remember when I went to bed and when I woke up. Like it was just a bad place. And I knew because I worked with Title I students, I was a teacher, that I could not go back to school and be any kind of person worth being in that classroom. But there was also the flip side of this. So my husband is a musician. And so a lot of his work is contracted. My salary was, you know, pretty consistent. And so we had budgeted for me to be a maternity leave for so long, but it was starting to get to that tight space, you know, like we are now beyond the budget space. Um, Something's got to happen. And he didn't want to push me to go back to work because he knew I wasn't well. But at the same time, we were in this space where as a family, uh, we had to make some choices because we were running (laughs) up against that, hey, in a minute, we're not going to be in a good financial situation. And that was kind of the clicking point for me, so to speak, where I was like, you know, something's got to change. And I recognized what was going on and I started to attack it differently. Now, my question in all of this is your husband's aware that something's off but doesn't Mm -hmm. know how to help. Mm -hmm. You kind of mentioned your mom, but were there any friends or anyone that, were you, first of all, aware that something was wrong? And you kind of said you did because you weren't thinking you could go back to work. But then did you tell anybody that you weren't right? Like what? No, I didn't. process so, did you go through? Okay. So I'm that strong friend. You know, the one that all the memes are about where it's right. like, check on your strong friends. They're not okay. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. generally me. Mm-hmm. But I'm also the person who has had a really difficult time in friendships. Okay. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm, my family is all in Washington, D.C., Maryland area, like both of our families. And so moving to Dallas was not because we knew anybody. It was literally the Lord transplanting us here. And so we didn't have a whole bunch of people around us that we knew. And then of the people we did, we didn't have really deep relationships. And that was partially because we just hadn't had time yet to develop them. But the bigger part of it was both um, neither of us had a really good track record with relationships at that depth. Like I had just had a series of relationships that had just not turned out good. And so I was convinced that, you know, there's only one common denominator in all of these friendships and it's Mm. me. You know, Mm. these people go on to have deep relationships with others. So there's something wrong with me. Mm. And actually, I think that's what I carried into the depression that made it worse, that I don't have good girlfriends around me because there's something wrong with me. You know, I don't have friends that can be here for me because there's something wrong with me. And so even though I had people around me that are now some of my closest friends in that season, I didn't say anything to anybody because I I was just, I was afraid of being judged. I didn't know kind of how to describe how I felt because it wasn't like it was like, you know, like what they expect of new moms. When you, when you're a new mom, they expect you to say like, Oh, you're tired, you're sleepy. And so I knew I was tired, but I was like, bone suckingly tired. Like, Mm. like I don't feel like I can get up and wash today tired, you know, or, um, on days where I didn't feel that tired, I had a headache that just felt like it couldn't go away or nothing. I normally like to do 
like watching movies or even just snuggling on the couch, none of that sounded appealing. Or I was doing stuff that I knew I did only when I coped. Like I would, all the things I wanted to eat were all the things I didn't need to eat. I just didn't feel comfortable letting anybody in. Now, looking back, one of my friends, who is one of my closest friends, um, she says that she knew. She knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, but she didn't say anything um, at the time. And I never did ask her why she didn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, it's hard to say, like, mm-hmm. are you okay? Mm-hmm. I've noticed that you're not right. quite yourself. I had one person come up to me when I was in a similar season, and she was a mom of four boys. And so I think she could see a difference in my countenance, but right. that's a really bold right. move. Yeah. But she was also the only person to notice. Like, mm. I had another friend who actually later remarked, um, because I gave this testimony at a friend's uh she was promoting her book. And so she, and my friend afterwards who was there came up to me and was like, I had no idea. And the reason she was so shocked was because, now I told you my husband knew, he didn't know what to do, but he knew that he, I should not be left alone. Yeah. So on days where he had to be out, he would make arrangements for someone to be at the house with me. Hmm. So like one weekend he had to travel um, to California. He asked a friend to come and sit at the house with me. Um, another time he wasn't even out the house. He just had to do some stuff in the garage. And so he asked a couple friend of ours, um, her and her husband, and she came over and sat in the house and did work with me. And she remarked to me that night that I told my testimony, she was like, I had no idea. Why didn't mm. you say something? And mm. I think the hardest part is that if you're used to being a strong friend or you're not used to leaning on people, that there really isn't a place to turn you kind of are relying for someone to notice. Like, and I think that's how I felt. I felt trapped. I was like, somebody please help. You know, somebody noticed that something's wrong. And so the one friend that did notice, what I can say that she did was she just started showing up. She didn't say anything. Um, She didn't make it known to me that she knew anything, but she did her very best to be present, to be accessible. And I'd say that probably made the greatest difference just people willing to be present even if they didn't know what to say. Mm. That, yeah, that is the gift in the ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. And I hear you talking about being stuck in that place and being the strong one and kind of believing the lie that you aren't allowed to ask for help mm-hmm. because people come to you for help. I can relate to that. I'm sure others can. Um, what other lies kind of kept you stuck? I heard you talk about insecurity, mm-hmm. um, not feeling enough, not feeling like something is wrong with yeah. you. So uh, what other lies kind of kept you stuck in that place? I know one of the big lies that kept me stuck was the I'm not enough lie. And it spread through everything. It was like the the pulse of the season. Like you are not a good enough wife. You You know, you look in the mirror and you have this postpartum body that looks nothing like what it did before. And you're having to almost get to know yourself all over again because your emotions are different. Um, Your energy bandwidth is different just when you add a child. And so you really don't recognize yourself in the mirror. And so it was like, you're not enough to keep him. You know, you're not enough to be his wife. And so that was a lie. And then it was the same lie for my kids. You're not going to be able to be enough for her. You can't keep up with two kids, you know, or that I'm going to pass on some of the unhealthy patterns of parenting that came from my family. Um, These were the lies that I believe, but there were definitely some others. There was the, you're all alone. That was a huge one he used and meaning the enemy. Like it was one that was constantly, you can't call anybody because nobody's really your friend. Nobody really cares. Look, this person was here and they didn't even notice, you know, they haven't thought to check on you. 
I was the one that always checked on other people. I yeah. check on other people. I reach out. I pray. You know, I send encouragement. And when I needed it, there wasn't anybody there. And just that was a huge one. The you're alone. Nobody will understand. Or the you're too broken. That was a, yeah. a really big one. Like that all the things that had happened to me in my past, you know, because this was a hard part of parenting, but I had walked through some really rough things in my, my childhood. Like I've walked through just different forms of abuse, emotional, physical. I've walked through just a long history of, of abuse in varying levels. So coming into marriage and into to parenting, my fear was passing down those broken pieces of me to some people I love the most or those people getting hurt from it. And so those were things that I heard echoing. It's they almost created like a frame around me. Like you can't ask for help. You can't seek help because nobody's going to understand. Nobody cares. You're alone. You know, you just got to, or the other lie was just that this isn't even real. This is just the thing mothers feel. Everybody's tired. You know, I kind of dismissing it. Like yes, it's not important enough. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. was in seminary and I remember one of my professors saying, all guys, children are busy. <laughs> Like, don't give that as an excuse. Like, all guys' children mm-hmm. are busy. And mm-hmm. I remember being like, yeah, but that has nothing to do with the seasons of life that, you know. So far in this episode, Brittany has shared some insecurities, some lies she's believed. Maybe you can identify with that. I know I can. Those feelings of failure, the untruth that we sink into. And I know we don't want our kids to end up there either. And wouldn't it be awesome if we could fill their mind with the truth of who God is and what he says about them starting at a young age, well, I have a tool for you to help you do that. It's the ESV Seek and Find Bible that's published in partnership with Concordia Publishing House. And what makes it fantastic is it has the complete ESV text with 130 vibrant, colorful illustrations to engage your child's heart and mind and imagination at the same time. It's a great first real Bible. And I think perfect for an Easter basket. And if you aren't an Easter basket family, I have a post in the show notes that shares how we integrated the gospel into using Easter baskets, if you want to go check that out. And gets 40% off that ESV Seek and Find Bible. If you go before March 16th to crossway.org forward slash DMA3. That's crossway.org forward slash DMA3 to save 40% off of the ESV Seek and Find Bible and any other ESV Bible and get a free Crossway Plus membership. All right, let's get back to my chat with Brittany. She's going to share what helped her move forward from her depression. Well, in the chemical state, it sounds like, like so often postpartum is dismissed maybe you just need more faith or maybe, you know, you just need to get over it, but it's the the chemical change in a mom after she gives birth. So what got you from that stuck place? Like what moved you forward and helped you overcome those lies and the not reaching out for help? Yeah. So the biggest thing for me, like I said, was when it came time to go back to work. So When it came time to go back to work, all of those lies that had kind of become the norm and I had kind of just kind of sauntered through, I kind of started to wake up because it was like, okay, I've got to do something. And it wasn't even for me. It was was like, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for the kids. It wasn't for my husband. It wasn't because I wanted to get close to Jesus. I wanted to be better. It was just because we needed the money, like to be honest. And, but I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that I had a job at that time that made me think I needed the money because if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have gotten the help. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing, it was I went and I said, you know, 
okay, I need to do something about this. And my doctor, um, who my OB just happened to be a friend of mine at six weeks, you know, they do that screen. And she was like, yeah, Brittany, you're showing the markers. You're showing all the markers for postpartum. And I was like, I already knew before I circled all these things, you know, <laughs> almost. I'm, yeah. The fact that they're on there, you're like, oh, yeah, you're like, this wouldn't mm-hmm. be on here if this wasn't going somewhere. Yeah. And that, and like I said, I, I had struggled with depression younger. Like I actually, when yeah. I was in high school, had um, attempted suicide. So oh, I knew goodness. very well the markers. I knew like, you know, like kind of said, I could feel it coming before the baby came. Like I knew the road that I was heading down, the road that my emotions were enticing me to go down. And I felt powerless to stop it from getting there. Yeah. And so when this came around, I didn't have to, I didn't need a screening. I knew exactly where I was. I just didn't know how to get out of it. And so she was like, okay, take two more weeks. You know, just, she's like, it's six weeks. Your body just may not have normalized and let's take two more weeks. And in eight weeks, we'll talk about it. And so she said, okay, we're at the point you have some options. Do you want medication or, you know, you can try therapy. And I resoundingly said, I don't want a medication now. Hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with medication for certain people, but this is how it worked for me. When I was in high school and made that attempt, the first thing they did when they put me in to the hospital, once they got me to a psych ward, is they give you medication like it's not optional. And I remember feeling this euphoric high on the medication, but it did not change a single underlying emotion that was triggering the pain. Like all of the pain was still there. I just felt like giddy on top of the pain, which I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, Mm -hmm. I could feel the dichotomy of, I feel happy, but I'm still hurting. And I was like, this is not going to help in the long run because I don't want to be on sugar pills for the rest. I just don't. So I opted for therapy um, because it was something I hadn't really done. I'd done it when I was younger, but I had only really had one effective therapist. And I was like, I'm just going to go to therapy. But again, remember, didn't really have money. So I was like, how am I going to make this work? So our church um, I went to our church. Well, my doctor recommended a couple people. She was like, you can check these prices. You can see what they are. And my church had a counseling department, which is what I kind of recommend to everybody now. Check with your church first. And even if they don't have like a counseling center, they usually have pastors that have been trained in counseling that are usually willing to help. So I went to our counseling center. It ended up being like $25 a session. And so I remember registering for my first session and going in and finishing and feeling like I hadn't done anything. Like, this is not going to help after the first session was half. I was like, this is pointless. It's not going to help me. We didn't talk about anything of significance. We have not talked about the baby, my marriage, nothing that hurts. But she was like, all right, I'll see you next week. I was like, oh, no, no, you'll see me on Thursday. She was like, <laughs> Thursday? I was like, yeah, I don't have time to wait this once a week thing. Yeah. It's going to take too long. So I like doubled up. But that's, you know, it's also my personality. Like, um, we, if we can do this faster, let's just do it faster. So I came back on Thursday and I was determined, like, we're just going to jump to the deep stuff. Let's not play around with this, like, get to know you phase. I need you to help me with the deep stuff that hurts. And since you're bound by this contract to not talk to anybody else, let's just go deep. And so that's what I did. And so I went for several weeks and I would just jump in and she would always come in at the end. Like, she was like, you are the most honest patient that she, she was like, you're one of the most honest patients I have. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't because I was trying to like win an award for being honest. It was just, I was tired. Like I was tired. And after about three weeks of going twice a week, which, you know, would be normally a month and a half for everybody else. But for me, it only (laughs) been three weeks. I started to feel like I could breathe a little bit. Mm. And it was probably the first time, um, it's where my first memories start with my second. Hmm. 
there's a whole like six to eight months of her life that I cannot remember. Like I remember that summer being hard and it's foggy, but like some of my first memories with her start that summer after she was born. And I just, that it was still foggy and hard and messy. And mind you, I said, I started therapy when she was about three months because, and I got myself well enough to go back to work. And so in my head, that should have been like, okay, I'm well enough to go back to work. We're good. But I knew I wasn't. And I think that was the constant thing in therapy. Like I had to be honest with myself, like, am I better? Like, can I sustain where I am now without going backwards? If I can't, I need to go again. And so for some people, you know, it's a medical imbalance. You know, they needed the medication. For me, it was, it was years of pain that I had never dealt with. They were feeding this lie that I was alone, that I was unworthy of being loved, not just in my marital and parenting relationships, but I was unworthy of being loved as a daughter, as a friend, um, that I deserved to be alone, that I deserved to not have people in my corner. And this pain was feeding a lie that the enemy was playing on repeat. And so therapy was my escape. Like it was my mom time. You know, I know people are always like, you know, get out the house, go for a walk, go exercise. <sighs> Have a mother's night um, out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I no, I didn't need Starbucks and I didn't need to cycle. I needed therapy yeah. and I needed someone where I could be brutally honest about the things that had hurt me so bad that I'd never been honest about. Mm-hmm. Like people always say stuff like, you got to be careful about your words, your words, you know, they create. Yeah, we do. We do need to be considerate of what we say in our mouths. However, I think in the church, we can become so overly cautious of what we say that we just turn to the other end of the spectrum of bottling everything up. And so I always say I had like a thousand Coke bottles on a table and I was trying to carefully keep all of the bottles filled with all the junk without knocking the table over. And somebody slammed into the table and they all fell. And so I spent therapy deciding not to pick them all back up and reset them, but instead to clean the table. And I think that's where Christian counselor really helped because they were there to help remind me of the truths of God's word. They were there to help me to identify the places where I was believing a lie instead of believing in Jesus. But I wouldn't have, I wasn't able to do that in the state I was in by myself. Like I knew the word of God. I had been to seminary. I have a master's degree in divinity. Like I'd studied uh, over a hundred classes of the Bible and what God's word says. You know, I'm an educated woman. You know, I had a thriving career, but that had nothing to do with my ability to apply it in that dark place. And what I needed was a guide. And that's what my therapist became. Well, and I know for some people, like you said, medication wasn't what you wanted to use, you chose therapy, but for a lot of people, it's medication to get them to the place where the therapy can help. Mm-hmm. So some, it's a combination. So if you're out there and you're like, oh, see, I don't need medication. I think it's yeah, an individual, no. Mm-hmm. no shame situation. I mean, yeah. if you listen to the show enough, you've, <laughs> you know, we're like, we're pro whatever helps. Yep. And whatever you need. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't take sides on those things. Uh, but I'm so thankful that you knew yourself well enough and that you persisted and the therapy did get you unstuck. And I love that imagery of clearing the table. I think we can all imagine those bottles just bubbling up. And I was just with some people and it's like the difference even in cultures of the culture of the South versus some Midwest or North or coast and how some cultures it's even more reinforced. Like you do not 
let those things out. Yeah. <laughs> you keep them locked down, feelings, hurt, pain. My question for you is, I know that with postpartum, it can come back for the next pregnancy, um, sometimes even more so. What did you find to be true? Because you now then had a third baby just recently. Yes. I got to hold her. What did you find? Was that true for you? Or, I mean, I know every, everybody's story is different, mm-hmm. but I'm just curious. So the threat was there. Um, it wasn't, and it, it was there postpartum definitely, but there have been other, I feel like. Um, but this time I knew. I knew what I was up against. I knew the lies that I tend to believe and tend to suck into. And so I was ready. Uh, there were a couple of things I did differently this time. One of the things that God really led me to do was to establish a prayer circle. So after that season, I became super intentional the next year about establishing relationships. These were key in my life. I prayed. I was like, God, I need people I can go deep with. You know or the people that you have. I, I wanted people that were close to me regionally, but I also wanted people, anybody who God was just going to say, like, I could trust with my heart. Um, Mm. Because one of the things I discovered in therapy is that I did do some things wrong in my friendships, definitely. But a lot of the problem was the types of friends that I chose were the types of friends who were always going to be dependent. They were always going to be clingy and really weren't, yeah, they just weren't, they weren't the type of people in that season in their life, not to say where they are now. In that season in their life, their life was not situated in a way where they were open to a dual-sided friendship, if that makes sense. Yeah, like a life-giving, like mutually yeah. beneficial. Which then went after being in those relationships for so much, I then went to other relationships and was super needy. So mm. the relationships that were fine, I had developed almost this like codependency love me, which put an unnecessary strain on those relationships. So- Thankfully, one of the relationships, she's my best friend in the whole world. You actually got to meet her at the retreat. Um, She's one of my best friends in the world, Dominique. And God put her back in my life. And it was such a blessing because where we were when we were first um, beginning our friendship, we knew we were best friends then, but we kind of had a falling out. And we thank God just for what he did in our hearts in that meantime, because she has been a rock solid friend to me since then. We don't live together, um, like in the same state. We don't live in the same state. She lives still in DC, but she has made herself available. We pray together all the time. Another one of my friends, the one I told you who actually didn't know this the last time, she became the godmother of my second. um, And we are really close. She's a good friend of our family, auntie to our girls. And then I had some other friends that I just prayed for that couple that I mentioned, a couple that I want to intentionally go after friendships this year, because I decided that not just for me, I didn't want my husband to be ever put in a situation like that where my emotional stability became his to uphold alone and take care of the entire house. Like, yeah. I was like, that's just, it, he is my best friend. I talked to him about everything, but I just didn't feel like it was fair to place the entire weight of my friendship on his shoulders solely. So shout out to all the people whose husbands are their best friends. Still get you some other friends. Um, (laughs) I used to say that all the time. Like, no, my husband is my best friend. I guess I just don't need any other friends. And it's true. And people used to say, "You, you do need some girlfriends though. And I did because some of the stuff I talked about in therapy was him. Like Mm -hmm. I, I had to keep him perfect in my brain in order for him to be able to hold our friendship. And so that, that created a really unhealthy pattern for our marriage. And just for me as a human being, because nobody's perfect. And if I can't 
embrace the flaws, then I'm not really embracing all of who they are. And so I was intentional about those friendships. And so this time around, I created a prayer circle and this prayer circle went three levels deep. And so I had one that was literally anybody and everybody who I knew was rooting for me, cheering for me, would pray for me. I'm talking the girls. I had some of my cheer mom friends because my daughter does cheer. I had some people from church. I had everybody from my mama and my mother-in-law to some of my friends that I just knew from the choir. Like it was just anybody and everybody who I knew would put up a prayer. And I was very specific about what I asked them to pray for. I said, I need you to pray for a couple of things. I need you to pray for my marriage, um, that we would stay unified. I need you to pray against postpartum depression and anxiety. And I need you to pray against these specific flies. And I just put it in a group meet. And I just said, if you agree, just, you know, say you agree to pray. And then the closer I got to the end of my pregnancy, the more I would update that group of things I needed prayer for. And, mm. and then I asked them, can you guys send me back affirmations? I don't care if it's just a positive quote or a meme you found online or a prayer you have for me or something you're speaking over the baby. Would you do that for me? And they absolutely did. And so it was amazing because I had this entire community of women and then I closed that in. So then I had another set of women that I kind of gave like the up-to-date day-to-day of what's going on with the baby. So we had some complications, some more early labor with this one and I would update them on all that goings on. So they had a much more, um, a much deeper commitment to me. So it was just a, a more intimate circle. It, so it went from like, I don't know, it was like 30 women in the first group to maybe 15, maybe half that. And then I had a group of about maybe five or six. And these were the people that my husband knew to contact. So this included basically every woman that was in my room at the retreat um, and a couple of other key friendships. Like I said, Dominique, my other friend, those were my core. And I had asked them to be my core just in life in general. But my husband knew this is who you text first. So if something's going on with Brittany, if you need, and he had permission to wrap me out this time. So if something's <laughs> going on with me, <laughs> you don't have to try to protect me like you did last time and just kind of keep people over. No, tell them something is wrong. And these are the people who have agreed to either pray or do something. One of them, my mom wasn't able to get here in time for the birth. She stepped in for my mom and was in the room. Wow. And it was powerful because she knew the second my daughter was born, we had a third daughter. She knew the second she was born and she looked at me and she said, are you okay? I said, I am not. I feel like life has just been leached out of me. And she, she checked with my husband. She left and went and got me some, some green juice. Like she was just like, here, drink this. And so I was pushing it in because she recognized that part of this probably was hormone and just being overwhelmed because I had a third girl. We decided <laughs> not to find out until... Right. Oh, so you were like dealing with the news. Yes. Yes. I was dealing with the, I can't imagine when I found out about my third boy, I needed, I needed time to get right with the Lord. Oh man. I did not take the time. Yeah. I didn't Mm -hmm. take the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was dealing with all of that. I was dealing with all that. And my husband was, we were both really convinced it was going to be a boy, but, and we love her. Um, you know, she's if you ever listen precious. to this, you know, 10 years down the line and think mommy and daddy didn't love you. We love oh, you. She's but <laughs> yes. It's just the shock of what yeah, you think is happening. Shock. Yes. And what is yes. Happening. Yes. Yeah. Especially when you're pregnant, you really feel like you have an understanding of what's going on in the Lord. <laughs> I feel like laughs even more like you still don't know, don't know anything. Yeah. So she knew that it was some of that. So she, she went to serve the physical part that she could help with. And then she stayed. And then when she left, Um, another friend of ours that we call Kevin's sister, she came and she stayed. And I actually had to then decide to like 
not talk to as many people in that moment, which is also another thing I think is my tip for strong people. Like it's okay to shut down for a minute and not support everybody else's demand on you. So but what I mean by that is I, I had a lot of good meaning people, like those people who were my praise circle who were waiting, you know, because they knew I had gone into labor that day. And I could not reach out to them mm-hmm. in that moment because I was not okay yet. And I couldn't, um, I had reached out to a couple people in the early hours and their responses weren't exactly what I anticipated. And it was throwing me deeper. And so the girl we call his sister, she's a licensed counselor as well. So she made the call. She was like, would you like me to text inform you? Yes, yeah. I would. Yeah. So just having those friends around me became crucial because there were moments that I couldn't have predicted, like at the hospital where I was going to need somebody. So me intentionally seeking out those friendships and mentorships, you know, over the past, the year prior became crucial. And I didn't do it with the intention like, Hey, I'm going to have another baby. I'm gonna need people. I did it because I knew that walking through life alone was just not going to work. And I did some other things too. I, like I said, I did the therapy. I set up a really strong community as much as I could. And part of that was just letting people fit in wherever they were. Some people bought us meals. Some people didn't. Some people prayed. Some one woman picked up my child and took her to her cheer competition and then took her out to play afterwards. It was amazing. So I let people fit where it made sense for them to fit in my life. And I didn't place a demand on them to act or be a certain way. If I hadn't, especially if I hadn't discussed like, hey, can you do X, Y, and Z? So that was big, but I like to call it my little like trifecta. I I say Jesus exists really in three forms in my world. And it's like its own little holy trinity. He exists in community. He exists in his word and he exists in worship. And so one thing I've become really good at too is creating a playlist. I have several different playlists on my Spotify for different things. Sometimes it's just ones that are encouraging. Sometimes it's ones I listen to when I feel a certain emotion. I have ones that are tied to conferences or events that were powerful for me. I'll take all the songs and worship they did there and create a playlist of that um, retreat or event so I can be triggered back to the truth that God spoke in that event. But I also do it on YouTube. I am famous for creating a YouTube playlist of just sermons. You know, I'm talking people that I really admire who teach really good truth or sermons that have really spoken to me again. I heard uh, Crystal Hurst actually said this once. She was like, sometimes we don't need a new revelation. Sometimes we just need to go back and revisit the yeah. things God said to us before and just let that keep speaking. And I think she got that quote from someone else, but I was like, that's so true. So I <laughs> created a playlist of sermons that have spoken to me. And sometimes I'm not even, um, I think sometimes we like to sit down and listen to a sermon like, and really lean all the way in. Sometimes I'm just listening and it's on in the background while I'm making breakfast or I'm walking around the house and I've missed two of the sermons, but it's on my TV. And my kids just know if mommy's got a sermon on, we should probably be quiet in the house <laughs> because <laughs> mommy needs to hear. Or, yeah. you know, the podcast too, I've created a good podcast you're a curator. I am. I'm like a curator. We need to get, we need to get these lists. Yes. So we can, we can put them in the show notes. Do you think yes. you can get those I will for give me? You some, okay. Yes. I'll give you some of the lists and I'll give you a link too, because I'm, one of the things I realized was pretty powerful. And as I've talked to people about this, they always want to know what scriptures I use too. Yeah. And so um, yeah, a friend those. of mine asked me to do this and it was really great for her because my uh, one of my best friends back home, she just had a baby too. We were pregnant at the same time. And she asked me to read a scripture for her and she played it on audio. So I've created some of those too. So yeah, I will Look definitely get you guys all of that to put into the show notes. 
it's an amazing resource that I just, I just want to give away because I want people to feel empowered. I don't want you to ever, because the community part I believe is crucial and therapy was a part of my community part. You know, that was the body of Christ reaching to help me out of a dark place. But it can take a while to develop those friendships that you need um, to sustain you. So what I like to do in the meantime is that God has given us this basically smorgasbord of his truth through digital medium and you know, Instagram and everything else, which can be overwhelming in those seasons, you know, if you start comparing, but if you curate it well, you can set it up. So that way you have your sisters and brothers from all over the world championing you for it to win, which is another form of community you can use until God helps you to establish some real life community around you, which is one is not a replacement for the other, but both are, I believe are valuable to help you get through. Well, Brenny, Goodness, I am so thankful that you let us into your thoughts, your feelings, your hardest place in motherhood and gave us hope, a hope and a plan of different action points someone could take today to come out of that place. And so thank you so much Absolutely. for taking time with us today. I really appreciate it. And they you. find you somewhere. I'll link to your Instagram. Um, you have a Facebook page. Yes, yes. Okay. So I I am on Instagram at I am Brittany J. Turner. And I'm on my website is BrittanyJTurner.com. And so you can find me out of those places. I do have a Facebook page too, which you can find online and it's under Brittany J. So Perfect. You can find me at any of those places, and you can find links to all those places on my Instagram page and the link in my bio. So if you just go to I am Brittany J. Turner, you'll find links to everything there. Fantastic. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me share. Of course. You're such an encouragement. I know this is a heavy topic and can often be controversial, but I know that God is bigger. I also know that the enemy does not, he's not for life. And as the part of culture that brings literal life into the world, there is an attack on moms. And so I'm going to fight back against it. We're going to claim the victory that is ours. I'm going to pray over all the moms today. Lord, I know your heart for women and for moms, and it has always been that we are made in your image, and you desire the wholeness that we had in the garden the connection we had with you, the truth that we had with you. And I know that the way our bodies are made, that at times we can sink into places of weariness and defeat and literal true depressions, anxieties. And I know that you are bigger. I pray, Lord, that the woman who's listening who is stuck in that place, that she would make the one phone call to a counselor, to a doctor, to a friend, to someone and recognize that it is not weak to say she needs the help, but strong, that she is not going to let it sink her, but she's going to choose to rise up because you are calling her to a mighty work that you plan in advance for her to do. And that is to steward the souls of the kids that you have placed in her home. I pray, Lord, that we would have eyes to see those around us who are struggling and we know that they're not in a good place, that we can be the hand up not as rescuers or saviors, but to point them back to you, the one who saves souls, the one who transforms, the one who heals, whoever is in a hopeless place. We pray for hope. 
that we know you are a God of all hope, that you never, never, never leave us alone, that you promise your presence and you are a God who cannot lie, that you are living, breathing, powerful God who enters into our stories and never leaves us alone. Thank you, Lord, for the time that this person who's listening has dedicated to this episode. Be her present help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for listening. I will let you know that in the upcoming weeks, we have some pretty fantastic people, um, some of my friends, some more of my friends, but also some great authors and mentors. Paul David Tripp's coming back on in April. Joe Saxton will be on. Troy Simons will be on next week. So stick around. Thank you for sharing with your friends. Y'all are the best, best, best listeners. Have a great week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.